Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everybody and welcome back to Headstrong, the podcast where I sit down with a number of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives, careers, experiences, but importantly, their vulnerabilities. This is still a Rugby World Cup special. I know that the Rugby World Cup is over and congratulations once again to South Africa on that fantastic performance in the final, much to my disappointment. But I do have a couple of guests that I still wanted to speak to about this World Cup. And there's no better person to talk to about their experiences in the World Cup than this guest this week, who was Shane O'Leary. I spoke with Shane over Skype about his experiences with Rugby Canada out in Japan. It's quite interesting to hear about a Tier 2 nation and their performance throughout the tournament and also how it works throughout the year. And also a few bits behind the scenes with uh, the Rugby World Cup. So I hope you enjoy. Guys, I'm really excited to welcome Shane O'Leary onto the podcast. Shane, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking out some time to chat to me. Hey, mate. No worries. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm um, to awesome. So, Shane, you were at the Rugby World Cup this year in Japan. Out of interest, when did you get back from, from Japan? Uh, so we left Japan on the 14th of October, I think. Um, and I flew to Canada for a week and then came back to... Ireland for a day and then back to Nottingham so I got back to Nottingham on the 22nd of October I think so it's uh it's pretty go 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 for me since uh I think I left the yeah UK absolutely <laughs> so how, how, how did you find the rest of the tournament in terms of did you watch it um yeah so we watched a bit of it but um a lot of the games weren't actually on um Japanese free to air so um not all our rooms and hotels had them so we actually ended up streaming a fair few of them in the team room as well um but I mean, obviously, it was an, an amazing tournament. Um, like from a player's perspective, being out there, um, there's not much more they could have done for us. Like everything was unbelievable. The hotels were amazing. Um, all the transport was uh, was class. Um, and then the, it was just it was so well organized from our perspective. Like there was no um, there was no mishaps or anything. Everything was always on time. Um, yeah, it was just an unbelievably run, uh, well run tournament. 
So that's that's interesting that you say that. Um, this was your first tournament um, with Canada, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I suppose you don't you don't have too much to compare it to. But how much of that do you think was perhaps the um, the organisation from the Rugby World Cup and the committee and the you know the world of rugby? And then how much of that was the kind of the, the amazing Japanese culture that everyone got to see? Um, yeah, so obviously, like you said, it was my first one, um, and I was just—I suppose I'm basing my opinion off uh, what fellas would have said uh, from the last World Cup in England, yeah. um, and things like that. So I think um, a lot of it does come into culture, where um, like any public transport that I would take with my family or my girlfriend or friends out there, um, never left a second late, always arrived perfectly on time, um, like so efficient in everything that they do as a culture. Um, I mean, obviously, where rugby come in and like they would have organised an awful lot of stuff for us, um, and would have helped to transport. Like when we were, let's say, if we were getting um, the bullet train, we were travelling from uh, a place like Oeta up to uh, Kobe, for example. When we walk into the train station, they would like uh, they shepherd us all through um, through the train station nice and quickly. You know, um, everyone wearing World Rugby T-shirts. So I think it was a mix of both. Um, but like from like I said, from me personally, I found that. Uh, that was really well organized like that. And I think the culture obviously has a, has a big part to play in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously with it being your first tournament, it's got to have been pretty special for you, but is there something that stood out for you from your time out in Japan? Is there a particular highlight that you're going to personally take and just never forget from that tournament? Um, yeah, I think like, like I said, it was an amazing experience for me being out there for the, the five and a half weeks or however long we were out there. Um, I suppose Getting my first cap out there and coming on against South Africa was uh, was uh, pretty surreal. Um, yeah. <laughs> against some of those people, like they're just some of the biggest people I've ever seen in my life. Um, uh, so physical, like they've got they've got it all really. Like you know, they got the physicality, that bit of flair, the speed, um, and then they were all incredibly nice people um, after the game to to chat to as well. You know, where sometimes you think um, I suppose a nation like that might not have that respect for a nation um, that wouldn't be as well-renowned for rugby like Canada, but um, but just kind of showed the that kind of rugby community, you know, where um, just a bunch of blokes chatting after the game and um, they were all incredibly respectful of us and uh, very nice. Yeah, so I think coming on in that game in front of my parents and my girlfriend was pretty uh, pretty amazing for me to yeah, get Definitely be taking that, me- taking that memory with you. Um, yeah, so... I've got a question. You talked about there about kind of the the travel and stuff, and I'm not going to lie. Over here in England, we could certainly take a leaf out of the the Japanese book in terms of transport. Um, um, but I was just, I was interested to ask you: Do teams higher up in the rankings, or you know, um, tier one nations, receive preferential treatment in terms of hotel allocation and travel for the tournament, or is it all pretty equally distributed and everyone's treated fairly and stuff like that? Um, no, so all the teams were treated the exact same out there. So there was a however many hotels, twenty hotels or whatever on the go all the time. And then um, so we swapped. So there was days where like um, England would have left the hotel and we would arrive that afternoon, um, for example. So us coming in as the lowest ranked team in England is one of the top. So we would have stayed in the exact same hotels as them, the exact yeah. same treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty it's pretty fair playing field like that, which is uh, which is nice. Because um, obviously uh, our union wouldn't have as much money as their union, for example. Um, but I think we're rugby uh, looked after all the teams very equally out there, and uh, I know it's much appreciated by some of the smaller nations. 
No, definitely. And uh, you mentioned there as well, you, you made your debut against South Africa, but then also in your group, you had New Zealand as well. Uh, you played Italy. Unfortunately, the, your match against Namibia was called off. But what is it like? Obviously, as I said, it is your first tournament. What are those emotions when you walk out to play these kind of you know, big, big teams on the biggest platform in the world? Can you just describe what that's like? Um. Yeah, so I, I didn't actually get to play against Italy and New Zealand, which from a personal point of view was very frustrating. Um, yeah. So I think by the time the South African game had come around, I was just chomping at the bit. I was just I just wanted to get on the field so badly that I would have run around with anyone. I would have run around with another eighth team at that stage to play. So <laughs> um, I think, yeah, so getting out there, obviously it's amazing in big stadiums, which we don't always get to play in either, you know, um, with sold out crowds on telly, you know, the whole world's watching. Um, so that obviously plays into it a bit. Um, I think I was just so excited to get out there that, like I said, it didn't really matter who I was playing against. Um, but I know, like, the build-up in the week and everything, is it's definitely a bit different when you're playing against uh, New Zealand um, or South Africa. You know, uh, like you said, two of the best teams in the world. I think uh, you always kind of got the extra bit of nerves. You want to do that extra little bit of homework or... Um, extra bit of training or whatever's going to try and hopefully give you that edge to, I suppose, perform and uh, put it up to these yeah. guys that you're going to play against, the best Absolutely. players in the world. Um, so, yeah, no, it, was, it, it was like, it was amazing. Um, uh, pretty special moment when you're going out there and you're standing across from those the likes of uh, Franz Stein or uh, Pat de Klerk or players like this who you, who you just don't play against week in, week out. Um, so, yeah, no, it was pretty amazing. Hi everybody, sorry to interrupt the podcast, just a quick word from our two sponsors. Headstrong is very fortunate to have found two amazing sponsors and supporters for Season 2 of Headstrong, the Rugby World Cup Special, forming a brilliant partnership between Headstrong, our chosen charity Restart Rugby and themselves. They cover between them all aspects of global insurance and both have strong historical ties to the wider rugby and well-being communities. Ascot Group is a Bermuda domiciled global specialist in insurance and reinsurance. Built on a foundation of underwriting expertise, but with a culture of collaboration, dedication, empowerment and accountability that is the fabric of the company. Their integrity is reinforced by a strong track record and dedication to clients, brokers and partners. For more information on Ascot Group, visit www.ascotgroup.com. BMS are an entrepreneurial, agile, specialist insurance and reinsurance broker that prides itself on their reputation for exceptional client service and position as one of the leading global brokers. For more information on BMS, visit www.bmsgroup.com. Now, back to the podcast. So you obviously play your rugby over in Nottingham at the moment, but how, how does the year work for the Canadian rugby team? And what kind of, how often do you guys get to play and meet up and get to, um, you know, hang out as a team, train as a team, and then, you know, you've got to play your rugby as a team. What other nations are you playing typically? And how does it work for the Canadian team? Um, so yeah, usually we, um, we have a summer tour, um, which I'd usually, I'd usually go on. So uh, it's usually a June tour. I think it might be changing for next year. Um, and then we'd have, um, there's like a couple of A tours, um, kind of in September, October time sometimes. And then we'd obviously meet up for the November internationals again. Yeah. Uh, so last year we were in the, the World Repetitive, so we still have to qualify for the World Cup at that stage. 
so we ended up in uh, Marseille in France for three weeks, I think, um, which was a which was a pretty cool uh, tour as well. Um, and then uh, usually we what, during the time of the Six Nations we'd play in the ARCs, um, so it's the American Rugby Championships. So the teams like USA, Chile, Brazil, Uruguay, um, Argentina, A, uh, there'd be teams like that and that. So so yeah, they're the teams we play. So we only get together ever as like I suppose a full strength squad full strength squad or that um for usually June and November as uh, I think uh, a lot of the time there's a bit of a experimenting done or some of the younger guys might uh, get a bit more game time in uh the ARCs in Jan, Feb, March kind of time. So yeah, so we don't get together uh, very regularly. Um and even then uh, you know obviously there's a couple of guys that uh, play in the some of the best teams in Europe um yeah. are down in this down in Super Rugby. Um so there's always times when not everyone's fit either. So when we get together as like a full strength squad, um, the answer is not that regularly. Um, but uh, it's usually pretty intense when we do, you know, um, a couple times a day, you're trying to get as much down together as you can um, and get used to playing with each other again. So, so yeah, it's definitely difficult, especially with how far away Canada is from um, Europe and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's not sure. like you're going through a day camp or two or three day camp, you know, you're kind of, you're committing to a week at minimum. Um, which can always be difficult yeah, to get uh, with the schedules, especially when we have people playing in so many various different leagues. Reflecting on the Rugby World Cup, how and where does Canadian rugby sit You know, going into 2020? Are you guys pretty positive with the, the progress that you're making or are you, are you still building up and, and working towards your goals? Um, yeah, so I think obviously in the last few years, uh, Canadian rugby has had a bit of a, a dip in performance. Um, I think there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes um, within Rugby Canada that are getting sorted, uh, which I think will all help our performance on the field um, improve going forward. I think the amount that we improved over the summer by the time we got to the World Cup was massive. Um, and I think we are improving all the time and we are on an upward curve now. So it's just about, I suppose, transferring um, some of those performances into results. Like if you look uh, in all those games, there's massive positive moments um, or portions of the game, but then there's uh, parts of the game where we let ourselves down. Like I don't think we conceded against New Zealand for the last 20 minutes yeah. of the game. And I know the damage is already done at that stage, but that's generally where they score a lot of points against teams. Um, against South Africa, well, typically we're, that's, much, yeah. we're much improved in the second half when we were down to 14 men than we were in the first half. Um, and I know... They've scored a lot of points already, but I suppose you can take a bit of pride and a bit of confidence from that. And I know that we were all very excited to play against Namibia, which I suppose it would be a team more around um, our level. Um, and we were hoping, obviously, get a win, as I'm sure they were. Um, but like that was uh, that was massively disappointing that that game had to be uh, called off. But I suppose that would have been a, a good a good indicator of where we were. Um, so okay, go on then, Shane. For for argument's sake, let's 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 have a think about it. What what do you reckon the score would have been? How do you think that would have that would have fared? I think we were going to win that game. I think we were pretty confident, um, especially off the second half of South Africa. I know, um, like it was obviously a lot closer, and we defended pretty well in parts of that second half. So yeah, I, th- I think we probably would have won. We'd had a, a pretty decent week training as well. There was a lot of um, off field learning, um, and then the one pitch session we had was very sharp and the captain's run was very good um but I suppose obviously it was massively out of our hands um of whether we could play or not I think we were able to get to the stadium but Namibia weren't uh after a couple of landslides and stuff 
Um, but yeah, no, I think we were pretty confident as a group going into that game. It was obviously one that we massively targeted before the before the tournament. Um, yeah, I suppose we thought of our hand. We we got a draw. <laughs> we, <all> draw. <laughs> we didn't finish on no points. So obviously, for anyone listening, I think it's uh, it's fair to say you don't have a ca- Canadian accent. So I just wanted to talk to you about um, your your kind of your childhood and where you grew up. So you were born in Ireland, but do you want to just um, explain how you ended up playing rugby for Canada? Yeah, so I was born in Ireland, um, and my mum uh, was born in Canada, but she's lived in Ireland since she was two. So my grandmother uh, would be the one with the Canadian accent, I suppose, in our family. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I would have played underage with Munster and all that kind of thing and then would have played some club rugby with uh, some local teams. And as I was going up through the ranks, um, didn't get any uh, Irish underage honours. Um, so my dad said to me, joking one day, oh, you should uh, drink Canada and play for them. And then I remember thinking, I don't even know if they have an under-20 team at that stage. That was my first thought. So we looked into it and we contacted a man called Mike Shelley, who was uh, coaching the under-20s in Canada at that stage. So I went out and played for them. Um, and we played our World Trophy down in Chile, which was uh, pretty cool. It was my first time. Uh, That's pretty that awesome. Right? Yeah, so I know the Irish boys that I've been friends with uh, were going to France. So uh, I was pretty happy to be going to Chile at that stage. Um, <laughs> we played down there and we actually came second. Uh, we lost Italy in the final. Um, so that was pretty... Uh, it was. A pretty cool experience and then I joined up with Grenoble um, into their academy in the top 14 um, and I played a season there before coming back to Connacht um, in Ireland for three years I suppose and I'd been in contact with the Canadians um, the whole way through but I suppose the first and foremost for me I wanted to make a career out of professional rugby um, and I suppose if I declared for Canada while I was in Connacht it would have made me um, uh, an NIQ player so non-Irish qualified um, and I probably would have lost my contract in Connacht. Yeah. So yeah. as soon as um, Connacht were releasing me, um, I contacted Canadians again and said, I'd actually love to come out to camp now if, you're, uh, if you still want me to. So then I hooked up with them. Uh, Mark Hanscombe was the coach at the time and made my debut um, in June uh, 2017, I think, against Georgia. So yeah, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ever since, but um, I'm actually... Uh, uh, I'm absolutely delighted that I, I decided to do it and um, it's definitely been one of the uh, best experiences of my life um, and my career uh, joining up with the Canadians. I've seen an awful lot of the world, um, played against some class teams, obviously been to the World Cup now um, and I know my mum is delighted that I'm representing her country at birth. Um, <laughs> as Irish as she is, she still uh, has that bit of Canadian in her all right. Like so. Yeah, uh, of course, of course. Uh, I mean, obviously I think the, what 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 you know the Canadian rugby has done for you is so so great and it's great to see that these tier two nations are kind of building up uh and it sounds like you know you've you've traveled around the world so much so they're you're still getting a fairly consistent funding I suppose but obviously not as much as you know these massive tier one nations that are you know dominating world rugby but uh, there's always there's always those those different levels in um you know quality of 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 funding and and coaching I suppose um, yeah, so obviously, like, it's it's massively different between the RFU, for example, and uh, Rugby Canada. Um, the funding that we receive, obviously, they're a tier one nation, we're tier two. Um, I think in, as we've fallen further down the world rankings in the last couple of years, I think um, 
funding has we've had to fight harder and harder to, to keep the same funding and keep sure. our tier two, keep our tier two status. Um, which I suppose obviously we need to perform better on the field then um, if we're if we want to receive more funding. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's obviously more difficult as a tier two nation. And then I think like some of our travel um, in that American Rugby Championships was absolutely crazy when I played in it uh, two years ago um, or eighteen months ago or whatever it was. Uh, we had a game in uh, Vancouver, then we flew down to uh, the South America, down to Uruguay, then back up to the States, then back up to Victoria, uh, which is on Vancouver Island. Then the following week we played Argentina, then we played Chile in Argentina, then we played Chile in Chile. But like the fact that we were up and down and up and down, I think, um, a lot of the lads hit their air miles to get, um, goal status. Uh, in those places. <laughs> we traveled 30 or 40,000 air miles, um, in the space of four weeks or whatever. So, yeah. um, I think that's a massive expense for um, Rugby Canada as well, and um, yeah, it, it's been it's been uh, it's a bit crazy uh, some of it, but I, I don't want to get into too much to be honest, mate. It's kind of it's not my area. No, um, no, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. Totally. Uh, I, I was going to ask you. So, ha- so this podcast is kind of uh, it's got a, quite a mental approach to it, and I just wanted yeah. to talk to you about how you feel, and you know when you watch the Irish team, do you, do you still support the Irish team? Do you, do you have any, like, like, obviously you've got some close friends probably in the Irish team still, cause you spent a lot of your professional career in Ireland and you've got a good relationship with, with some of the guys, but how do you feel in terms of your approach to Irish rugby when you watch and hear about them? Is it difficult um, or are you now you're, you're kind of through that, that stage. I'm, I'm definitely through that stage now. I suppose, um, kind of, I never really had any, um, I'm not going to say resent or anything like that, you know, but um, some of these emotions you're speaking about towards uh, Irish rugby, like at the time when I was there, like I kind of, I had one um, period where I would have been consistently um, starting for Connacht. There would have been a couple of injuries. And I suppose, you know, when I was starting for the problems, I was hoping that I might get, um, I suppose, when my contract extended, first of all, anyway. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you're obviously hoping that you might get some kind of recognition, I suppose, or something. But I kind of knew I wasn't um, at the standard where I needed to be around the to be around the Irish squad, especially with the likes of Sexton and um, all those lads that sure were in their prime or still in their prime now. Um, yeah, no resent towards that. I suppose when I when I left when I left Connacht, I suppose there was a time where I just didn't really want to watch them play and stuff. Um, kind of in that point of view, you know, you left, and I felt that. I had more to give. Um, I kind of felt unlucky. I had an injury or two, and then um, I had contract. I had a contract in front of me that was taken away. So I kind of, I suppose, I was a bit unhappy about that. But that's the nature of it, you know. Um, I suppose injuries can lead you to having a contract taken away, um, and you never know when they're going to come about. Um, but yeah, no, no, I'm fully supportive of Irish rugby and all that. Now I like watching them play. I still, like you said, I have a good relationship with a few of the lads and. Um, I'm more than happy to support them now, but obviously if Canada were playing Ireland, they would be supporting Canada. <laughs> Absolutely. Canadian rugby through and through. Absolutely. So how, how's the season started for you at Nottingham? Obviously you've got, got this 2019-20 season down there. How, how are the boys feeling? Um, yeah, so we had a great start to the, the season in the league. We won our first two games. Um, so that was good. And then we, we lost uh, the next three. And then we just won again at the weekend. So they won all the games before I came back. And then we lost three in a row when I came back. But we're back to winning ways now. 
good. Um, yeah, we've been pretty close in them all. You know, we just kind of let ourselves down with like a 10 or 15 minute period where we concede um, a couple of tries or we walk them down the field uh, with a couple of penalties in a row and they're not really having to work very hard for their points where they've made us work a lot harder for ours. And I suppose we've just fallen outside the bracket of bonus points. Um, but uh, it was a bit drier at the weekend and field held up a bit better than some of the fields we played on have, which suits us a bit better as we tried to play quite an expansive brand of rugby um, and we managed to get a five-point win. Um, so, yeah, it was great to get another win. Um, finally get a win back uh, since I got home. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We're, we're looking forward to the, we've the cup coming up now for the next few weeks and then um, we've got Cobb at home, or Cobb away for uh, Christmas on Sky. So that'll be a big one for the boys. Um, They'll be pretty excited for that. There'll be a, a couple of nice haircuts and yeah. <laughs> energy around uh, the squad for that game. Yeah, so uh, it's been a it's been a decent start. We're three from six in the league, so hopefully we'll uh, get a couple of wins now and get back on track to where we want to be. Yeah, definitely. So, what what does the this season hold for you in particular? And maybe looking in the into the future in the you know in four years' time at the next World Cup, uh, and then your kind of future in rugby and and elsewhere. What what does your future hold? And what are your goals? Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> so I was, uh, looking forward to the next World Cup. Obviously, um, from my personal experience in this World Cup, I feel like I didn't get enough of it. Um, I was obviously pretty disappointed to miss out on a couple of squads and things like that, um, which I struggled with at the time. But I'm, I'm okay with it now, uh, reflecting on Japan. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've got some uh, business left at a World Cup. So I'd be hoping that I'd still be about in the next uh, four years and hopefully get to play in France 2023. Um, and then, yeah, for this season, I suppose I just want to crack on here and, uh, you know, yourself consistently improve. Um, kind of have a couple of things that I need to work on that will uh, hopefully get me some more international minutes um, come around the next window. And then, so I haven't had a taste of uh, top division rugby before. Um, I'm hungry to try and, I suppose, get back to get back to a, a top a top league again but I know that uh, my performance is my currency so I need to perform well for Nottingham and Canada when I get the opportunities to and then hopefully um, yeah I don't know uh, maybe get picked up by a, a top league again but that's out of my hands so I'll just be focusing on my performance here and hopefully yeah, playing well each week and winning and kicking my goals and things like that so yeah it's a uh, I'm very much so living in the now, so hopefully I'll just play well here for this season and sure we'll see what happens then. Definitely. So just retouching on just being left out of some of the squads in the World Cup, just before we finish, I just wanted to speak to you about kind of those emotions about being left out of those squads. Obviously, you, you, you have that disappointment, but how does it, does it motivate you for the next week? Um, how does it make you feel, you know, immediately when you hear that team squad news? But then you, you have yeah, that so usually the coach would tap you on the shoulder um, beforehand and have a have a word with you. So um, yeah, when I got tapped on the shoulder, I was uh, <laughs> trying not to let the tears out as he was speaking to me. Um, obviously, I wouldn't have been very happy. I would have been quite pissed off. Um, so I suppose I just went away and had a bit of time on my own. Um, called my parents and my girlfriend and kind of spoke to them then a few hours later. And I suppose you calm down at that stage and you start trying to uh, think about it a bit more logically um, and try and figure out how you're going to try and get into the team next week. Um, so yeah, uh, I was massively upset um, the first two weeks. Um, I suppose you just kind of 
it's obviously out of your hand selection. So it's something that you can't control. So my dad's always told me, um, you know, it's it's one man, it's one man, yeah, sorry, one man's opinion. You can't let it get to you too much. Um, you just got to make sure you got to stay process orientated and focus on your performance. Uh, stick to the task at hand and try and keep improving that way to try and get into these squads. Um, it was a difficult part for me was there's some guys in the squad asking me why I'm not playing and you know saying oh they think I should be and stuff. So that was uh, that probably made it a bit harder. Um, but like I said, I, I loved absolutely every moment of it when I got out there on the field. Um, but yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a difficult time for me. And uh, I suppose you're trying to enjoy it as much as you can. But when you're not being selected, it can be very very difficult. But mm. especially for the first day or two. But I suppose you kind of you can't be a sap around uh, the squad and you can't be taking the energy from the squad. And um, you got to be a good team team player. And I suppose you always want to be a good person as well as a good player. Um, so yeah, I was I was. Uh, Pete Nelson, the guy that was starting, would have been one of my best mates on tour. So I was fully supportive of him and trying to help him as much as he could. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely a difficult time. And I know my uh, <laughs> my mom and dad were kind of asking me a lot of my okay and my missus uh, too. And I suppose they probably got a bit of a brunt of me being a bit cranky sometimes. But I suppose well, it's just part of it's part of life and it's part of uh, the job description. I suppose you you know you gotta. Take the good with the bad, and it definitely made me appreciate uh, coming on against South Africa an awful lot more after not uh, getting that opportunity to. Um, in the first two games, I really relished it, and I was very disappointed in the last game. I, I was involved again on the bench, uh, so I would have absolutely loved to have got a second cap out there. So I suppose one cap from four games uh, wasn't exactly my goal uh, when I was going out there, but. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll hopefully be around for the next one and get that opportunity. Exactly. Look look forward to 2023 and hopefully we'll see you out there, obviously. um, But I suppose, yeah, being left out of those squads, it leads me on to my very final question, which I ask all my guests is, you've got to be quite headstrong. But what does the word headstrong mean to you? Um, Headstrong to me, I suppose, is having that confidence to back yourself. Um, When I was younger, I wouldn't have been very confident in like some of the environments that I would have went into, especially when there's... uh, Kind of bigger, more well-known players. Where I feel like, as a person now, I've grown from those experiences. Where I'm a lot more confident in myself. Kind of um, take it or leave it. I am who I am. People. Some people are obviously going to like me. Some people aren't, um, and that's fine. I have nothing against those people <laughs> if they like me or not. Um, which I suppose has transferred onto my onto my performances in the field. Where I'm confident enough now to back myself to say, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. We'll discuss it after if that's the best option or not. But I'm driving the team around the field. That's what I want to do. So it's what's headstrong for me is having that confidence just to be yourself um, in rugby and out of rugby. Um, so yeah, I suppose that self-confidence thing is massive. Definitely. Well, Shane, thank you so much for talking to me. I've really, really appreciated it. Um, we, it's been great. Best of luck with Nottingham and to you this season, obviously. And we hope, well, best of luck to Rugby Canada as well in their future and all their endeavours. And hopefully we'll get to see you out on the pitch soon. Thanks, mate. Absolutely uh, love chatting to you. So cheers. Awesome. Thanks, Shane. No worries. Well, guys, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much to Shane for taking some time out to talk to me on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And it was so interesting to hear about a few bits and bobs behind the scenes of the Rugby World Cup. 
We are still supporting Restart Rugby and we've raised already over £2,000 for this fantastic charity. So thank you so much to anyone that bid on some of the auction items as well. I'm now going to hand over to Damien Hopley to tell you some more about Restart Rugby. And see you next week. My name is Damien Hopley, Group Chief Executive of the Rugby Players Association. Restart is the official charity of the RPA and the charity provides crucial support to current and former professional rugby players suffering from serious injury, illness or hardship. Since 2005, Restart has invested over 1.7 million into player welfare and support by funding medical treatment, rehabilitation or disability support, financial support and emotional support by providing a 24-7 confidential counselling service and we're the only body in English rugby that invests in mental health support. One in four people in the UK will be affected by mental illness in any year. Rugby players are no exception, and often the pressures and strains that act as a catalyst to mental health issues are magnified for professional athletes. Players often find it difficult to cope with the transition out of rugby, and the reality is that over 60% of players reported mental health issues post-retirement, and over 50% of players take two years or longer to be in control of their lives post-rugby. In 2008, the Rugby Players Association and Restart launched a 24-7 telephone helpline and counselling service to provide vital mental health support to those players and families that were facing struggles. 42 current and former players accessed the confidential counselling last year. More than 140 players have accessed the counselling service over the past three seasons. Every year, Restart spends up to £60,000 on our confidential counselling service to help support our players. Without support from donors and fundraisers, Restart would simply not be able to continue this vital support for our players. Sadly, these mental health issues can lead to devastating consequences. Suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK, and rugby players are not immune. It's great to see the players talking more openly about their mental health struggles within rugby and after they finish playing. Thank you for all your support towards Restart. Without people like yourselves, we could not help players and their families in the way that we do. So thank you all very much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tools. Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.